February 20th, 2020. I'm Avi. And I'm Ron. And this is Accent Insights. Uh, so today there were no uh, broker tours in Brookline. So we're going to go to some listener questions we've been accumulating that we thought were interesting. But before we start, Avi gets to do a victory lap because <laughs> thank uh, you. Thank you. last week we talked about 47 Winthrop Road. Uh, they had a meaningful price drop and Avi went out on a limb and said he thinks it would be under agreement within seven days. And uh, sure enough. Unfortunately, this was not uh, one of my buyers, uh, but I, I was confident that this one would go under agreement. So this is, just to remind everyone, this is that condo on Winthrop Road, uh, 47 Winthrop Road, Philadelphia style. It was uh, just over 2,000 square feet, plus a bonus office suite in the basement. Uh, it was four bedrooms, three and a half bathrooms. And that four bedrooms, as, as uh, we said last week, it's rare to find all of this for this price. It was originally listed last September for one million three hundred sixty-nine thousand, and uh, it was dropped in price most recently to one point two five nine, so one hundred ten thousand lower, which is about the right price and actually uh, a real opportunity at this price uh, for everything that you get. So uh, I thought this is going to be something that someone's going to jump on because it, it really has a lot. It checks a lot of boxes. And sure enough, they marked a contingent two days ago on Tuesday. Right. And, you know, again, this is, the, the, as Avi said, this is the right price. And the, the only question that I have, that I think we probably both have is, you know, if they had come on with this price when they listed it, Back in September in the fall market, when the market was pretty active, you know, would the market have then taken that price and run with it? This is something that we, we deal with with our sellers all the time. Nobody wants to come and send the signal to the market that, that your property is worth less. But the market is very, very smart. And, you know, if you price too high, they just ignore you until you get to the right price. So here it is. Uh, and Avi called it. I wasn't sure there were buyers out there active, but yes, there were. So uh, congratulations to, to the seller and, and to Avi for getting it right. Thanks. Now let's move on to some listener questions. Which one do you think we should tackle first, Ron? Uh, well, we have this one about walkthroughs. And uh, so the question of when is the right time to have a walkthrough and what should actually, what, what should you be finding at the walkthrough? Um, people are wondering, do they have to get everything out of the house before the walkthrough? The final walkthrough before the closing, the, just to clarify. Correct. As distinct from the inspection, which I think we're going to talk about in one of our other questions. Um, but as you say, the final walkthrough, you know, what happens if, if you get to the property that it's usually the day of the closing or the day before and, uh, and the seller still got their stuff in there. Yeah, absolutely. And so normally we expect the house to be broom swept clean. Uh, we expect the seller's personal property to be gone. Uh, anything that was excluded from the sale to be gone, anything that's attached and part of the real estate or included to still be there, like the appliances, any light fixtures, all that should still be there. And for it to be in generally the same condition as it was when you did your home inspection, uh, minus normal wear and tear. But we don't expect a big pile of junk in the middle of the, of the floor. We don't expect the seller to still be packing up. And sort of more of a gray area, a lot of times people leave paint cans. What's your opinion on that? You know, I think paint cans are generally accepted as, uh, as a courtesy because sometimes it's hard to match things. You might want to check to make sure they're not dry and useless because paint cans are a little bit hard to dispose of. Um, but it's one of those things, you know, the, the language in a purchase and sale agreement says the property will be delivered vacant and free of all occupants and belongings. So it really is empty. And it's your opportunity to make sure, you know, the faucets work, the dishwasher, the fridge is working, those kind of things that are included in the sale. Uh, paint cans, if you see them and you don't want them, 
if it's my seller, I'm going to get rid of them. I'll say they'll be gone, you know, by the closing and I'll, I'll send someone to get rid of them. It's within the buyer's purview, I think, to say they don't want them. On the other hand, it is a courtesy. Sometimes, you know, if they want to leave pink hands behind, I would ask the buyer, for example, if they want them. Because they are a, a nuisance to dispose of. You have to dry them out. and uh, It's a difference between uh, two or three paint cans and like 20 paint cans too, right? That's true. Uh, unless the house has 20 different colors, then you're going to want to <laughs> match them up. But uh, yeah, I agree. And that is that is one of those. I mean, sometimes, you know, we do come to inspections from time to time and we find there's been some damage. I had a situation where a garage door had a giant dent in it that was not there before. Um, and actually, you know, the new mortgage guidelines, the TRID guidelines have made it a little bit more difficult to deal with these things at closing. It used to be that at the closing, the closing attorney could just make an adjustment and take money out. The parties could sit there and agree and say, yeah, there was, there was some damage. Um, the, the buyers don't want to take it with the damage and, and you could just adjust the closing document. Nowadays, the closing document has to be done uh, a couple days before. It cannot be adjusted at the closing the attorneys generally have a way of working around this, but um, that that's often what will happen if something does not meet what you're expected. And, you know, as Avi said, if there's more than just reasonable wear and tear in between when you inspected the property, signed the PNS, and the day of the closing, it is an opportunity for the buyers to say, uh, this is not what we bought and you better fix it. Yeah. Let's go to the next question. This, this is a different type of walkthrough. Why are inspections after offer acceptance? So, so normally... The order of operations here, uh, what's typical in Massachusetts, buyer makes an offer on the property, uh, the offer gets accepted. If a home inspection contingency was included, then you'd have so many days, for example, seven days is typical to do whatever inspections uh, you're going to do. That's after your offer is accepted. Uh, But then the next thing after that is if if everything goes well, you move on to the purchase and sale agreement where you make a larger uh, deposit than you did in the offer. And, and then you, you move on to get everything ready for the closing. So the question is, why do we do inspection after offer acceptance instead of before making the offer? Yeah. And, and really, it is, it's it's a very good thing, actually, because you know not every state is like Massachusetts, where we have a two-contract system, as you mentioned, where there's an offer, which is like a one or two-page document that says, look, I've, I've been to your home. I've seen it. I think it's worth this price if it is you know what I expect it to be. Now, that document allows for the fact that most people don't have any experience sort of evaluating a home and seeing it does it have any hidden problems or things that I wouldn't be expected to know about, like with respect to the roof and the furnace and things that are material to the value of a home. So you're basically saying in this one page offer, I think it's worth, you know, X dollars, but I want to bring my inspector in just to make sure that I'm right. Um, and then the, the seller says, okay, fine, I, I agree with you, that's fine, and I like your price, bring your inspector in. But that inspection is an opportunity if things come up that you didn't see, that weren't readily um, obvious, uh, to come back and say, look, I didn't know that when I, when I put my offer on the house that it needed a new roof completely, um, so I want to adjust my price. That's right. And now there are, there are circumstances where you might do an inspection prior to making your offer. Uh, but that means you're going to be paying the inspector, even though you might not be getting the house. The inspection could be anywhere from $500 to $1,000, depending on what inspections and how big of a property. But imagine a scenario where uh, it's a competitive bid situation. There's multiple people competing for the same house, and you want your offer to stand out. So you want to make your offer without an inspection contingency. In that case, you might go out on the limb, hire the inspector with the permission of the seller, of course, 
conduct your inspection before making the offer for the purpose of making an offer without the inspection contingency to make your offer more attractive. Um, but you know, and in this case, you're out that money to the inspector, whether you get the house or not. That's right. And you know, as the market has been so red hot in the last couple of years, pre-offer inspections have become very common um, because very often, as we've talked about in the past, contingencies are about risk shifting. And as a seller, you want as little risk as possible to the deal. So an inspection is a risk. It's a risk that the buyers can come back and try and renegotiate the price or maybe walk away. And sellers prefer to have fewer risks rather than more. So some people will just say, look, the house looks okay. And I have some extra money in the bank. So I'm willing to take the risk that there's, you know, 40 or $50,000 of stuff that needs to be done here. That's another way of dealing with it. And you don't do your inspection. You just waive it. Sometimes we say we want an inspection for informational purposes only, but we won't use it as a, as a reason to walk away from the deal or to renegotiate. So there are lots of different ways of doing this. We generally like people to have an inspection. Inspections are great. They, they give you a sense of what you're buying. They also get you a document that's like a, a user's guide to your home. Usually the inspectors will tell you, you know, here's your furnace, here's your hot water heater. This is when you should think about doing maintenance on them, stuff like that. So it's good to have um, in our market as often we've had to be more flexible with what we do with those inspections. Yeah. Oh, something I looked up uh, the other day, um, I, was, I was running some numbers on the MLS just to see how often do do these these transactions fall apart before the purchase and sale? Because uh, we get the sense that it, it, it does happen. It's not this rare occurrence that deals fall apart. Um, so in Brookline in this past year, so in 2019, it's around 15% of the transactions fell apart prior to the purchase and sale, uh, which I thought was interesting. That's that's very interesting. Did you get any statistics on how quickly the house went under or the condo went under agreement after that fell apart? No, no, I didn't, I didn't run that. Maybe I'll go back and look at it that way. Yeah, interesting question. Um, look, lots of things happen, right? Sometimes people get very, very hot uh, sometimes you get an offer that's almost too good to be true. And if it has an inspection contingency, I tend to warn my uh, sellers that, you know, there is buyer's remorse and that is an opportunity for people to exercise it. So like sometimes people just want to get their option in on the house or the condo um, and the inspection contingency is their get out of jail card. Um, so that's, that's an interesting point. Like it's a very cheap option in some ways because it's a very, very small deposit that you're relative to the size of the house. It tends to be a fixed number, $1,000 in this market. And the second contract is a percent. You bring your deposits up to 5%. So as housing prices have gotten more and more expensive, as they've been going up, the second contract deposit has kept up because it's a percent, but that first contract has sort of been stuck. It's been, uh, you know, 20 years ago, it was $1,000 was still typical. And that has not kept going. So, you know, maybe 20 years ago, $1,000 really deterred people from using the offer as like a, a cheap option. But now, a lot of people, if you're looking at a house for $1.5, $2 million, and you're like, oh, I'll buy an option on it for $1,000. It seems very cheap. It does. I mean, and, and again, you, as you said before, you could pay for the inspection, maybe five, six, seven hundred dollars to inspect it and just know what you're getting. Or as you say, you can take your shot at the offer with a thousand dollars down. If your offer doesn't get accepted, you never have to give that check in. So that's sometimes easier. If your offer does get accepted and you do your inspection, even for informational purposes only, if you decide to walk away, you're really only leaving that thousand dollars on the table. So, you know, it's not nice to do. It's not a, a way that um, we recommend doing business, but it, it is something that people do, as you say, because $1,000 is relatively cheap. 
Do you think we have time for one more question? I think we do one more because it, it kind of goes, it's a different kind of inspection, I think, this this third question, which which is, um, you know, we've had people come and talk to us about, you know, they, they want to come in from the suburbs. They, they've been in a single family home for a long time and they, they want to buy a condo in Brookline. Very common. Um, but what about, you know, crazy neighbors or crazy people on the association? How do they figure out what they're getting into? It's a, it's a big concern. What do you think, Avi? Yeah, one of my favorite things to, in this situation is uh, uh, reading through the meeting minutes of these associations. And not every association has meeting minutes that are extensive, but sometimes it's like reading a novel. The, the good associations have these meeting minutes, and you get to see, really, like how do people interact with each other? What's the real story? Even if they don't have meeting minutes, oftentimes there's email traffic. And then, of course, there's the official documents that you want to see as well, like the the budget and the condo docs. But uh, that's one thing that I like to do. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes they're just bullet points. But if you see the same thing, like, you know, Mrs. Jones is still late on her condo fees, you know, so-and-so to talk to her. Uh, if you see that come up four or five, six times, you know that Mrs. Jones is a problem <laughs> and you might want to do some digging. Um, another thing that, you know, I recommend people do is go and knock on doors. You know, you, you get your offer accepted. This is something that's perfectly reasonable. The inspection contingency, for example, um, you know, people think it's, oh, just to get a home inspector in and check out the bones of the house and the systems, but it's to inspect everything, anything you want to inspect. So, you know, that is a great time to go knock on doors, talk to the neighbors, see, um, you know, if they're friendly, what they can tell you about living in that building. Um, sometimes people are very happy to talk and, uh, sometimes they're not. And either way you could be learning something. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't know the neighborhood and you're coming in from, from the suburbs and you're used to living in a single family house. And the other thing that you could consider if you don't know the area as well is to stay in that neighborhood. If you can find an Airbnb for a couple days, or at least visit at different times of the day, you know, get a feel for, for what it's like Agreed. Um, before you, uh, really, uh, commit. Agreed. And that's true, by the way, you know, for, for condos and single families, right? I mean, single, just because you're buying a single family home does not mean you're going to be free from crazy neighbors. Um, you know, Brookline is a dense packed community full of people who are very empowered, uh, who know how to make each other's lives difficult if they want to. So, uh, you know, there's, there's that question. And then there's also questions of like, Hey, what's the traffic like in the morning? Is there a school nearby? Does it get really jammed up at the time you want to leave? Or is it loud at night? Um, all things that are worth, you know, home is a major investment. And if you don't know the neighborhood and you don't know the block that well, uh, you know, as Avi said, is highly recommended to go there at different times of day and get a sense of, you know, what it's going to be like to, to live there. If you have more questions, please send them to us, info at accentbrookline.com. Or, uh, you know, just let us know when, when you see us uh, around town. We love when you stop us and give us questions. I, I think that's often. Yeah, and also we also have phones. So, you know, feel free to give us a call. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>